0: Psalm 119, verses 89-96 through The Lord exists forever. Your word is firmly fixed in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all creation, all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand today, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my misery. I will never forget your precepts, or by them... For by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your decrees. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Jeremiah chapter thirty-six, verses eleven through twenty-six. When Micaiah, son of Gemariah, son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, we went down to the king's house, into the secretary's chamber, and all the officials were sitting there, Elishama the secretary, Deliah son of Shemaiah, El-Nathan son of Achbor, Gamaria son of Shephan, Zedekiah son of Hananiah, and all the officials. And Micah told them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the scroll in the hearing of the people. Then all the officials sent Jehudi, son of Nathaniah, Son of Shalamiah, son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, Bring the scroll that you read in the hearing of the people and come. So Baruch, son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them. And they said to him, Sit down and read it to us. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all the words, they turned to one another in alarm and said to Baruch, We certainly must report all these words to the king. Then they questioned Baruch, Tell us now, how did you write all these words? Was Was it at his dictation? Baruch answered them. He dictated all these words to me, and I wrote them in, with ink on the scroll. Then the official said to Baruch, Go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. Leaving the scroll in the chamber of Elishama the secretary, they went to the court of the king, and they reported all the words to the king. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishama the secretary, and Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in his winter apartment for it was the ninth month and there was a fire burning in the Brazier before him as Jehudi read three or four columns the king would cut them off with a penknife and throw them in the fire in the Brazier, until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the Brazier. yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was alarmed nor did they tear their garments even when El-Nathan and Deliah and Gamaria urged the king not to burn the scroll he would not listen to them and the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, and Sariah, son of Azrael, and Shalemiah son of Abdeel, to arrest the secretary, Baruch, and the prophet Jeremiah. But the Lord hid them. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2-12 through 12. Make room in your hearts for us, for we have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have taken advantage of no one. I not say this to condemn you for i said before that you were in our hearts to die together and live together i often boast about you i have great pride in you and i'm filled with consolation i'm overjoyed in all our affliction for even when i came into macedonia our bodies had no rest but we were afflicted in every way disputes without fear without and fears within but god who consoles the downcast consoled us by the arrival of titus and not only by his coming but also by the consolation with which he was consoled about you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that I grieved you with that letter, though only briefly. Now I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance, for you felt a godly grief, so that you were not harmed in any way by us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regret. But worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation and alarm, what longing, zeal, and punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves guiltless in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on the account of the one who was wronged, but in order that your zeal for us might be made known to you before God. Good morning and welcome to the third Tuesday after Epiphany. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Walkersville, Maryland. This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 119, Jeremiah 36, and 2 Corinthians 7. And in Paul's letter, he distinguishes between godly grief and worldly grief. And I think it's an important distinction to make um, in you know a military community that's wracked by uh, suicide and depression and um, self-harm and other things that um, flow from not always the actions that they have done in combat, which are not always much of anything, but very often also by the the actions and assumptions of the world, of what uh, the New Testament uh, calls the cosmos. And the grief that is caused by the world, um, it's, uh, the word is lupos, and the, the worldly grief is something like shame. Um, it creates death, and Paul doesn't go into much discussion of it, but grief or the guilt of the world Um, produces death because it doesn't give any way out. It just kind of, you know, shame attaches to the person. It mistakes the sin and the sinner. The the sinner is the sin, has become sin. This is evident when we say things like Cain is a killer. Um, Cain is a human. And the mark that God gives Cain is for everybody, including Cain, to remember that Cain has not changed, that Cain is still a human, but he is a human who killed, a human who has made a mistake. Godly grief um, produces um, not death, but repentance um, and salvation, and absolves regret. Um, guilt, uh, properly understood, is, uh, does not say, oh, you have sinned, therefore you are a sinner, or you are the sin. You have sinned. But instead, it says you have sinned, and there's something that we can do about that. Uh, there's a process by which your sin can be absolved, and it includes both, you know, mental anguish, but also practical reconciliation. Um, you know, the to have done wronged. Uh, we 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 have some. Paul certainly has some feelings about you know, earning salvation, and I don't think it's about earning salvation, but I do think um, that it's about doing things that right or that undo or that correct the things that have been done that have made a wrong. Um, It isn't about gaining something back, but it is about balancing the scales. Um, You know, some vets, you know, go to Vietnam or Iraq and try to make amends, um, some vets, you know, live a life of charity. Uh, certainly, the saints did that. Um, I've mentioned plenty of them in uh, all my books. Um, but the, uh, I think there's something, as I said in Paul, that discourages. I don't know. I'll call it equilibrium. If you've done wrong, I think it's balanced and just that you do something right, either for that person or even for yourself. To, you know, For example, some, some vets, after they've come home from war, they feel like all they're capable of is destruction. And so um, I know a, a handful of vets who started farms, livestock as well as crops, to remind themselves on some level that they are perfectly capable of cultivating life. Um, that is a balancing of the scales um, that benefits them, that benefits the earth, that benefits uh, those around them and their community. Um, and so it isn't, you know, Paul, as I said, takes this really hard line. You know, you can't earn salvation, you can't earn grace, and that's true. But gifts don't absolve guilt. The gift of God, um, I, I just think they're they're apples and oranges when we talk about god or christ being our our redemption there's the redemption we require as members of a world that only knows corruption whether you can call that original sin or whatever and then there's the the redemption that we require by the specific everyday sins and transgressions that we commit that come out of living in a world of corruption but also come out of us being humans. You know, Adam and Eve lived in a world of perfection and they still committed sin. Uh, they didn't live in a world that only knew corruption. They lived in Christ's perfection in the Garden of Eden. Um, and so any sin they committed were these specific um, concrete things that they did that they needed resolution for. And one thing that grieves me so much is that they don't put up a fight as God banishes them from Eden. They just accept it as though, you know, well, this is the way of the world. And it's like, no, fight for it. Fight for the thing that that you were meant for, the thing that you love. And they just kind—they of, seem to like shrug their shoulders and and you know, uh, just accept it. And so many other um, heroes of the faith argue with God. Abraham, etc., and that's why I think Cain represents this um, un, less than fully understood character in the Bible, because his parents resign themselves to their fate without question. Cain, however, when he is told that he's going to be banished from the uh, from from God and hidden from his face, Cain confesses, "My sin is too great. I, I." I cannot bear to be driven from your, the your presence. And so he gives God gives Cain a mark because Cain confesses he says my sin is too great. He takes it on on himself. He, he acknowledges that it belongs to him. And that's when God gives him this mark. And so godly grief um produces repentance and as Paul says um uh, it leads to salvation and brings no regret. Worldly grief doesn't do any of that. It just lets you sit in your shame. Um, worldly grief uh, is the kind that looks at Cain's mark as a curse, not as a sign from God. Worldly grief confuses Cain with what he did. He's no longer human. he's something else we call a killer. And so, don't uh, believe in worldly grief. Um, believe in godly grief, in um, godly sorrow, uh, lupos, which uh, the Greek uh, is the Greek word that we get for for this this passage, uh, because there's this very important distinction between what the world says we should feel sorry for, and what God knows that we we when we feel sorry for, it produces in us a change of heart and a change of, of behavior. A prayer for a person in trouble or bereavement from the Book of Common Prayer. Merciful God, who has taught us that in your holy word you do not willingly afflict or grieve anyone, look with pity upon the sorrows of your servants for whom our prayers are offered. Remember them, O Lord, in mercy. Nourish their souls with patience. Comfort them with a sense of your goodness. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hearty folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard,